0: I'm glad I bought Amalia cards, though, because I think the prices are going to go up after the RC.
1: Probably. Well, the prices are going up for the RC. The card Get Lost just doesn't exist, and so people are like buying it at like 9 to $12 now.
0: Ooh, I'm glad I, I should have bought more of them. I only bought like a couple because mm-hmm. I didn't want to... No one local had any cart, recent cards, so I had to order off of
1: a TCG player. It'll go down after... It's just like the supply is... Too low to support the need for the RC specifically, and like those <laughs> cards just won't exist in Atlanta.
0: Are there vendors at the RC?
1: Yes, but they often do not have the things that you need. Yeah, and they're going to be super expensive because of the supply thing. <laughs> yeah, but I I suspect that Amalia's metagame percentage is actually going to be capped by like the availability of like Amalia and Sinote scouts and stuff. Like th- these are just
0: I mean return to the ranks only has one printing
1: yeah (laughs) yeah that's true that card's not the easiest I don't have them lying around
0: I played with it a bunch and it was very very good
1: it is good yeah
0: I also sideboarded zero cards in like constantly because the sideboards when the week we were testing were just hot garbage like they didn't exist why bother playing a a single card in your sideboard yeah And your sideboard is like eight fatal pushes and twelve Leyline of the voids.
1: The single sideboard card that I have been the most impressed by is Voice of Resurgence. Yeah, it's good against,
0: It's really good against Phoenix and yeah. pretty much
1: only good against Phoenix.
0: <laughs> Maybe Blue Eye too. I tried to convince Alan to play Amalia because he wanted to play Reactive Sack, and I'm like, you should play Amalia because we have access to the deck, and it's very good. No one's gonna know how to play against it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm glad that. Like with all of the just magic online grinding I've done on stream, like I've been forced to play. You know, I just have happened to play against Amalia a bunch of times, and so I I'm pretty aware of the plans and and play patterns and stuff. But I think it's very easy to just not have gotten those reps in.
0: I think it's also very easy that people would like kind of want to play Amalia but only zero of the cards. <laughs> so yeah. very so just just kind of ignore it. nor ignore, ignore its existence. Yep. Like if I were playing at the RCA, I would just play Amalia. Yeah, I wouldn't play anything else.
1: Mm-hmm. I do think people are become. I This is like main episode topic time. I do think people are more aware of the, the deck now and, and making an effort to be prepared for it.
0: We could start the episode so
1: I can. Yeah. Rebut, yeah, yeah I, I have this. rebuttals. I'm a
0: rebuttal. I'm a rebutter? Yeah. All right. <laughs>
1: Hey everyone, welcome to episode 322 of the MTG Grindcast, the spikiest podcast in all of central North Carolina. We are your hosts. I'm Chris Castor With me is Lee McLeod. Hey Hi hey, Chris. What's going on? Not much. Just played some magic today. I uh, played some mirror matches with Oaf McNamara on stream so we could, you know, test out different builds of Phoenix and like whether having the combo the temporal trespass combo in your deck is like necessary to feel good in the matchup or if being like heavy on otherworldly gazes gives you like that level of consistency and speed so you you don't necessarily need it and we we got some good data points and you know it's mostly just that the matchup is difficult and complicated And you just, like, hope that you have three Phoenixes in the top half of your deck, and that gives you a significant advantage, and if not, (laughs) then it's, like, there's a lot of work to be done in the game.
0: If you can't get lucky, you gotta buckle in and get good.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: (laughs) Well, it's nice to play a deck that gives you the luck out.
1: The last game of the last match that we played, um, you know, we, we got kind of in this standstill where neither of us could reasonably attack and he was probably gonna win because or he was just gonna win because he had temporal trespass and galvanic iteration in the deck but then the galvanic iteration was down just a little bit too far so i got to trigger his two ledger shredders connives like four times in two turn cycles and just deck him with his ledger shredders so that you know there's some play to the matchup for sure hilarious
0: a classic not a May ability,
1: Ledger Shredder. Yeah, I have been, uh, you know, forced to lose a bunch of life against Shieldred without having any control over that. Ledger Shredder is very good, but sometimes you, you do want to turn down that connive. Before we get too into it, I want to thank our patrons Ian, our newest patron, and then some long term patrons from 2020. All the way through to today, Tomas, Brian, Chris, Ben, Stephen, and Jacob. Really appreciate everybody who has continued to give us support. Yeah, we really, really appreciate y'all. It's super cool. And uh, anybody who wants to become involved in the community, please join the Discord. Um, anybody who wants to join the Patreon, patreon.com slash Grindcast. But of course, the podcast will always be free. That's just if you want to lend us some support and get a little bit of the extra, uh, content that I've been putting out each week.
0: Yeah. Especially with the, with the all RC prep you've been doing yeah. RC's next week.
1: Yeah. And you'll get my final updated list and sideboard guide. And hopefully I'll be mostly right about stuff. I've done a lot of work. I really like, I, I, I do feel like I've hit the point where like I get pioneer and, and I feel pretty comfortable in the format right now.
0: Well, do you want to talk about Pioneer? What do you have on the docket today? Like, what, what were you doing?
1: Well, you know, we had bands last week in both Modern and Pioneer. And I feel like, you know, most of our discussion is going to be about Pioneer. So maybe we should start briefly with Modern and acknowledge that, uh, you know, Rakdos Scam won the LMS Barcelona And, uh, you know, just kind of reckon with that fact.
0: I think it's funny. So we recorded an episode last week. I didn't give, and neither one of us gave a lot of credit to scams still existing. Mm -hmm. And after we recorded the podcast and I started dinner, I was thinking about like the different random tournaments I've seen where some like mono black garbage deck wins a bunch of games just because they have the scam combo in their opening hand. Yeah. I'm like, huh. I wonder if you can like just do that like can you still do that
1: (laughs) so i think you can do that and i think that like obviously you know the deck won this tournament i I think what you end up creating is just you know this higher variance deck where like obviously anytime you have scam in your opening hand you have a very similar path to victory as rakdos always did but now you and I will say that I was probably too skeptical of, like, having not dead after all in your deck without Fury. Like, if you just get a little bit lucky, it's probably okay in a decent number of games. I feel like it does catch up to you and brings the deck down to earth in a pretty real... Like, you have some bad cards in your deck that don't work out that often. Although the, the X-File Una's Blackguard deck with the the scam of effects in it is uh you know doing everything it can to make those cards a little bit less embarrassing.
0: Yeah, I think that deck is very adorable and it makes me wish Twitch had just banned grief from the yeah. start. Like I don't I'm not even upset they banned fury. Like I don't particularly enjoy fury, but I hate grief. <laughs> Reasonable. <laughs> So if this is like a hogak level thing, where and I don't think like the scam decks that exist currently are, you know, oops, we made the deck better. I, I really don't think that's the case. But if this continued playing of scam leads to the same scenario where they ban fury, then they go back and ban grief. I think that's mm-hmm. just a win for everyone.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's mostly fine. It's a pretty big win for Yogmoth in that case. <laughs> It works out really well to just, like, get Fury, like, catching astray here from what maybe should have been a grief ban. Uh And Yogg does appear to be, like, a an early winner. And, and we talked about this. Like, I think the primary effect of Fury not being in the format is moth becomes good. The secondary effect could include Cascade decks becoming very, very popular and that pushing Yogg back down a little bit. But... You know, Friday Modern Challenge, four Yawgmoth decks in the top eight, eight in the top 32. Saturday Challenge, Zerk wins it with Yawgmoth. Uh, The second Saturday Challenge, also multiple uh, Yawg decks in, I guess, one in the top eight, and then a a decent number in the top 32. Like, this deck was completely playable and one of the better decks in the format with Fury around. There's no Fury around. Like, this isn't difficult math, I guess.
0: Yeah, I, was yeah, already very good and impressing a lot of people at the end of the RCQ season, so not super surprising to see it just like losing its its big ugly matchup of pressing, and then being really well suited in the new format.
1: And it's not even just the matchup, like you know, Scam was a a kind of pretty tough matchup, but also like. The Beans decks playing Fury no longer exists. The Rhinos
0: deck playing Fury, and, too.
1: Right. You just never have to play against Fury in any of the matchups. And that's even better than, you know, losing a 45% matchup or whatever from the metagame.
0: Yeah, I remember playing a game, a, a local, against uh, Mr. Bob and Cheese. And he was playing Four Color. And he, I was playing Yawgmoth for the first time. This was, like, very early on in my Yawgmoth adventures. And he just, like, furied me. Then furied me again, didn't copy Furied, and I'm like, okay, well, I guess it's the only card you cast all game. I'm never gonna win, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's that's why I'm happy to see Fury go,
1: right? Makes sense. Not too surprising to see Yogg doing well in the absence of Fury. You know, Yogg is probably a containable deck, it does have like a legendarily tough matchup in Rhinos, and Rhinos is pretty popular and can get more popular but of course chalice of the void is a thing that could you know it, we're in the middle of a projected metagame churn cycle sort of thing but i do think that yawgmoth will probably just be you know if you're a yawgmoth main you could just take it to like any modern tournament regardless of week, the, what week it is and what's doing well and you could you'll be fine going forward from here
0: yeah i think so too i I think we're still in like this honeymoon phase where people are still trying to figure out what decks they're allowed to play. Like if you look at one of the Saturday challenges, uh, this one, there's like a, a Lotus Field deck in the top 32 along with a Dredge deck and a Calibrated Blast deck and an Amulet deck and a Gorio's deck. It's just like...
1: What is so deck on who. Dredge? So, yeah. you know, you need to be piloting Dredge within like a percentage point of perfect in order to, to get it going even in this like post scam metagame i think
0: it's just the who's who of what are we allowed to play in modern again let's let's find out Mm -hmm.
1: yeah yeah exactly and right so we see like multiple different grief decks you know trying to figure out how to play a scam deck here's uh blue here's Demir grief with no subtleties like not trying to do that because that's nonsense and not very good but like Three Tashana's Tidebinders and Orcish Bowmasters. So, playing this kind of flash game alongside the Grief Scam package. But, like, this kind of build is not as frightening to me as Rakdos Scam. Like, this is a deck that plays three Shieldred and three the One Rings. There's f- six four drops in this deck. So, it's playing a much longer grindier game it's also got urza saga in it which i don't know if that's like a thing going forward for any sort of grief deck that seems not very likely and i'm not sure i totally understand that um this urza saga Dothy voidwalker deck but (laughs) these decks aren't just like trying to compress the game in the same way as as rakdos was Uh, same with like the solitude versions and stuff it's a really weird conceit to have your deck
0: be a grief uh not dead after all deck and you're also playing the one ring like that's yeah feels very odd to me
1: right there, there's a reason that the one ring was never even like a sideboard card in in Rakdos it's just not it's playing two different games
0: I did see a cute little I'll never be able to find it again but in one of these challenges there was a hardened scales deck that had echoing deeps in it uh which is the Vesivo for a land card in your graveyard mm-hmm exclusively to copy saga
1: yeah <laughs> just, it's cute with saga
0: yeah just get more sagas
1: yeah a little a little slow, slow but i mean i guess if you are fine with a colorless land in a lot of games then it's just a kind of a split like either it's a land or it's an urza saga
0: yeah heart and skills is in that nice little place where you can just play a bunch of whatever utility lands you want because many 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 of your cards are colorless mm-hmm. so it's honestly it's neat to just play whatever like Pendlehaven or Beseju or what have you like it's it's a neat little aspect of the deck I I really liked playing basic forest for a lot of people (laughs) try to blood moon me more
1: yes not as many blood moons around these days though nope and Urza saga was good against scam generally but yeah, all time low on Blood Moons in the format right now. So if you're trying to play some Urza Sagas, this probably is a good time to be doing. That. I think
0: people are trying to play Urza Sagas because there's a lot of black mid range decks or, or that use Saga as like a, a mid range tool, like mm-hmm. littered throughout these challenges, like Jun Shadow or J- I think this is misnamed, but a Jund deck. Yeah, that like is Jund Saga Von. Fragavan. That's that sort of deal.
1: Yeah yeah i i mean I, I do think that saga is just generally like a i mean certainly saga is just a very powerful card but right now it does feel kind of tempting it also lets you play you know it lets you have access to way more pithing needles for yawgmoth and that's a good thing when there's this much yawgmoth running around and when yawgmoth is this good you
0: can start putting some graft cages gauges in your sideboard again if you want yeah because Curse totem is very good uh if you expect a lot of yawgmoth Gravtagger Cage is also quite good, though. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is tutorable off Saga.
1: Yep, Tur- simultaneously turns off Cord and Undying, and that's like a lot, a lot of value.
0: Turns off uh, Elven Course as well if they have that as their sideboard card. Sure.
1: I never really understood that one. That
0: but... one's really good. I actually like that one a ton. Okay. For the longest time, I-, I played all. I played the Ring and the Elven Course, both as a mm-hmm. sideboard card. And I came to love Elven chorus much more because of hmm. the Cryptolith Rites ability it gives all your creatures. It just lets you like kind of dominate in any game that's slightly stalled. As long as the top three cards of your deck aren't lands or whatever. Right. Okay. Grist making it like incredibly powerful. Yeah, as of course. Grist does everything in your deck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's basically a grist deck.
1: Yes. No, like every time that i Am looking at modern cards and like trying to do cool stuff. Like I- grist is a really cool card. And every time I'm trying to like, think of a way to use grist and like, or, or I'm thinking of a deck and I'm like, Oh, grist would be pretty cool in this potential deck. And then as I like swap cards in and out in my head, I'm just like, Oh, I'm just like building worse. Yogg Moth. Like, it- like this just should be Yawgmoth.
0: I drafted a cube once that had, uh, I, I was drafting it and I didn't really know it was in the cube. And I saw a young wolf, and I'm like, "Is there a Yagmoth deck in this cube?" And I passed on the young wolf because I wasn't in green. And like a couple packs later, the Grist was there, and I'm like, "Ah, I should have taken the up. Young- I should have just gone in." <laughs> and there wasn't I mean, like a whole Yagmoth deck, in the
1: power, cube. the generic power level of those cards in Cube, like, I'm, well, yeah, I'm not yeah, but if you if you have a, have a
0: if it. you have a young wolf in your cube, you're like trying to support everything Mm -hmm. with it anyway that was just a tangent chris is great
1: claudio top baited this challenge with yagmoth alongside several other yagmoth players i just have like this this same day or no the next day i played against claudio round one of the pioneer challenge and he was on niv mizzet bring delight and game one he turn four on the play uh slaughter games is my Arclight phoenix is without no no bring the light just like slams slaughter yeah, just games just the slaughter games but then i look over at his lands and realize that he has no green or blue mana he just has all mardu lands in play wow <laughs> so i just cast a couple of picklock pranksters start attacking for one a piece On my turn 7, I just animate Hollow Storm Giants and attack. And then on my turn 8, I animate Hollow Storm Giants and attack. And, you know, Leyline Binding can't kill Hollow Storm Giants and he hadn't put anything into play, so that killed him in game 1. Game 2, I just like lost a normal game where he like Leyline binding to all my stuff and blah blah blah. And then game 3, I won with 0 cards in my library, attacking with a brazen borrower and four picklock pranksters when he was at two life. I had no Phoenixes in play. He had a like a Yorion in play and could like I I cast a treasure cruise that turn and he could have Scarab guided back a Notion Thief, but then that would leave him dead on board, and then my my treasure crews would like gave me the removal and and, and like a counter spell to guarantee that my attack through would be lethal, even though like multiple of my flyers were getting blocked. It was an incredible match and a very weird one. Yeah, I,
0: I'm glad you won that one, especially with the fairy beatdown plan. Two games.
1: Oh yeah, Notion Thief uh, definitely got me game two. That that one was a rough one.
0: Yeah, I've been destroyed by Notion Thief on a pour of the pages before. It's very rough. Yes.
1: (laughs) So I I brought a couple of fiery impulses back in for
0: game three. I I mean, do you want to talk about Pioneer? Because I don't want to comment
1: on Claudio's deck choice because I can never change him. (laughs) Of course not. We never will. Um, Yeah, we should probably switch over to Pioneer. I mean, Modern, still very much in flux. And I'm not going to worry too much. You know, the... Perhaps the most important card in the format was banned, and so there's a lot of reshuffling going on, and we're not going to really know what's up for a little while.
0: Yeah, and, and Modern's on the back burner for a little bit anyway, as yep. we go into the Pioneer RC right into the holidays, right into Standard Season, yep. <laughs> which who knows will even fire. I went, I tried to go to two Standard tournaments this weekend for the Standard oh, nice. Champs, and then neither one of them had more than four players.
1: That's very
0: frustrating, I'm sorry. So uh, I was just unable to play more than pickup games of standard, which was very frustrating.
1: Hmm, I don't really know how to fix that.
0: It makes me extremely disincentivized to try to build a, like a, a real standard deck.
1: Yeah, I guess we just have to hope that, you know, standard RCQ season happens and the tournaments occur. Yeah, I
0: hope so. I'll give it. I'll give it a season. I'll give it a yeah. shot. Yeah. And I then... mean, if it
1: like you know sputters back up and gives people a reason to own standard decks, then that's maybe that could get there.
0: Or maybe that'll just be the de facto limited season.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know. But m- giving it a shot, I guess. Yeah, we'll see in a, in a month or two. Yeah. All right. On to Pioneer. Yes. All right. Well, so, you know, we had a couple of bands. Pretty much, just, you know, Cascade. At least Geological Appraiser Cascade got kicked out of the format. There's still a little bit of Quintorius running around. That's yeah. That that exists.
0: Quintorius Combo got one one of the top thirty twos in this on Friday, and someone asked, "Is Quintorius Combo worth worrying about?" And my response within seconds was, "No, the deck is awful."
1: Yeah. Especially given the decks that you have to deal with right now, the raw speed of Geological Appraiser was really, really important to giving you good matchups against decks like Convoke and Amalia, which we'll be talking about at length this episode. Uh, Quintorius both is slower and is more vulnerable to Thalia out of decks like Convoke, and it just like Although it is a little bit less vulnerable against the reactive decks, like less cards interact with Quintorius, I can't just hold up Fiery Impulse and survive against the Cascade. Uh, I think you just like you lose so many, so many games to just the faster decks where your cards are just really expensive and don't do anything that... I, I don't think that the deck is very good. But you know, watch me lose to it. I think my my matchup is not great against it. I have a lot like game one, I can barely interact with the combo and Carnosaur is just unbeatable. But I don't think that the deck is one that I'm gonna bother worrying about.
0: I think it suffers from being a clunky combo deck that's slow and can be like horrifically bad against some of the faster decks in the format, like Amalia or lotus field or on the other spectrum like something like blue white control
1: yeah yeah that has the that it's an instant speed deck that has the proper interaction also you know get lost is probably the going to be the most heavily played sideboard card in the tournament and that one disrupts you pretty hard uh also there's a large subset of the format now that is thought sees smugglers copter decks and that's going to be tough to beat as well
0: yeah. Smuggler's Copter got unbanned. Do you want to start there with the, the Smuggler's Copter of it all?
1: Yeah. So Smuggler's Copter resulted in a surge of random creature decks entering the leagues, and then when the dust settled, it's basically in both of the Rakdos decks. It's just yeah. Im- improving Rakdos midrange and Rakdos sacrifice, and that's, that's its job right now.
0: Yeah, I think it I'll shout out two different decks that aren't exclusively Rakdos that are playing Copter that I actually like. Okay, I'll give it a third one. Gruul Vehicles, I think, improves tremendously with Smuggler's Copter. Right. I don't think the deck's worth playing, personally, still. Uh, I just don't think it is powerful enough. But it, it does improve measurably with Smuggler's Copter, if that's something you still want to do.
1: Yeah, the deck is not good. But Smuggler's Copter is the best possible card because it's a deck that had no two drops that it could play. And it's also like an eight elf deck that then has nothing that it can do with elves later in the game. And Smuggler's You pray Copter, you can
0: draw enough Huntsman Redemptions to sacrifice them all eight or real creatures.
1: Right. <laughs> and Smuggler's Copter lets you use elves that are both in play and in your hand. And that's really, really important. And it also gives you the ability to start attacking a little harder a little earlier with evasion and then so so it's like really good for the deck but the deck is still pretty bad
0: the other two were the is it in soul decks people are still Mm. trying that out i don't think it made any splashes in the challenges but i have seen uh, a few people working on it very hard in the leagues trying to get those decks polished and they look like maybe something could be there i just think the presence of mystical dispute decks is too much right now <laughs> yeah that's a, a really rough time to be like if anyone ever wants to have mystical dispute and a braid or fiery impulse against you that's like kind of rough yeah for sure uh, and the one the smugglers chapter deck that isn't rakdos that i liked the most which i actually would have tried to spend more time on if i hadn't fallen into an amalia sized rabbit hole this week mm-hmm. is actually a deck collins showed me the mardu Greasefang deck which is you know Greasefang was classically abzan for a sika's chariot but if you can just ditch all of your uh, green cards for red cards you can have smuggler's copter and inti Sinishal of the sun along with fable the mirror breaker and blood tithe harvester mm-hmm. and you're like kind of a, a Rakdos deck, but you also have the Greasefang
1: combo yeah I, I think that that is probably it, it makes sense to me for Greasefang to shift away from, because Grease Fang isn't very good, so it needs to do something different in order to start keeping up in the format again. And this makes a lot of sense to me. You're playing a lot of magic cards that are pretty good generally, and then you just have the ability to threaten, probably not as fast of a kill that often, but it's there and you're putting like pressure onto the board. And so they have to deal with your pressure and then you might just be able to kill them with a grease fang after they do that. And I, I, I do like that. I mean, I generally like the Smuggler's Copter Fable, the Mirror Breaker, into like package. I mm-hmm. think that that is a, a a strong team for pressuring your opponent's life total and giving you this like discard outlet and, and like digging through your library ability. And I do think that it makes a lot of sense with Grease Fang and Parkhelion too.
0: Yeah, I think if currently I believe that if you want to play the card Greasefang, I would try to go towards the Mardu side of things with that package and Bloodtide Harvester, because it just feels like you're playing a deck that can actually compete with other decks playing fair as opposed to being like the Abzan version where your plan was really heavily a seekus Chariot subsidized. Like, mm-hmm. if you didn't have a real plan, if you couldn't do your Grease Fang thing very early. So your a lot of your deck was just very polarized on trying to get early Parhelion. And every time you, like, cast Grizzly Salvage and didn't find one, it felt like you lost the game. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, for sure. And every time my opponent cast Grizzly Salvage and didn't put a Parhelion in their graveyard, I just felt so safe. Like, my cards all felt so good. In their yeah, because you knew you were going to have, that. like,
0: an extra two turns to to compete. Yeah. And and while I will admit that this Marty version is not trying to do that it's not trying to be the fastest Parhelion deck possible the turn one thoughtsies you turn two copter or or harvester into like a turn three fable slash grease thing you can either crew the copter and set up for a kill next turn that that's all still good those are good cards you all have to deal with individually
1: <laughs> yeah because when you're casting Grizzly Salvage and you miss you've skipped your second turn which isn't the same like when I cast Inti on turn two, yeah, I didn't put a Parhelion in my graveyard, but I I put an Inti into play. Like that's the it's a different sort of magic game that we're playing here.
0: I guess you technically have a nut draw because Collins was playing Voltaire and Epicure, so you could like theoretically go Voltaire and Epicure into discard the Parhelion on turn two yeah. into Grease Fang, but I, I'm not even concerned with that that much.
1: Yeah, I mean I I hated playing Grease Fang with the like, all right, turn two Grizzly Salvage like. I hope that I hit the Parhelion here so I can threaten it and make like my opponent hopefully is respecting it if, if I don't hit it and, and uh, you know, I, you don't really know what you're going to have and your opponent doesn't know what you're going to have. And and so you're just like hoping that things line up the right way. And sometimes it works out. I, you know, I think Grease Fang has just been like passed by mostly at least the, you know, Abzan combo version of it because the Seekers Chariot is just not, a good enough backup plan you know just matches up badly against a lot of the stuff in the format shield drew it in particular
0: yeah, it has too many little things that are wrong with it like you lose the ability to crew it sometimes and you have two copies sometimes and you have to like yeah. waste one to get more cats so you can crew and it's just kind of a mess sometimes yep but that's copter decks other than copter
1: yes and and it's really the playable copter decks the ones that you need to be ready to play against at the RC are really recto sacrifice and recto's midrange and so that's that's where smuggler's copter is going to be uh other than you know those decks you know i do think that is is phoenix is probably the best deck in the format or at least will be heavily represented we did see a few a decent number of Demir phoenix decks doing okay in in these challenges so that deck does exist it has an edge in the mirror but i think what you know i've I've talked with scott and we are both doing kind of the same thing which is sideboarding more the way that we would sideboard against rakdos because they have go blanks and you just want to be sideboarded for a go blank matchup and once we started doing that the matchup felt a lot closer you know maybe they're ahead by four or five percent or something like that but it 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 wasn't like a huge huge difference and it does cost you uh, bitter triumph is just not as good as lightning axe and that mana gap and that like that loss of efficiency on your like many spell turn or the higher level of difficulty in killing athalia and doing more stuff is costly in a way that it's just a price that i am not willing to pay in order to play that you know get an advantage in the mirror and against lotus field there's no there's no lotus field in these results but that's kind of common for magic online
0: yeah lotus field really only has two kinds of results and challenges it's just like not there or it got you know first or second
1: (laughs) yeah and there's there's one in the top eight of the friday challenge and that's the only one that shows up
0: that's a. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right.
1: Yeah, there is so. also a, a blue-white Lotus. A, a Lotus deck that is significantly worse than, than Lotus Field, I would say.
0: Yeah, the combo version is a lot better than the control version. Yep. But it's. I, I wouldn't really compare those two decks against each other just because they have Lotus Field on them. I would compare, like, blue-white Lotus Field to normal blue-white control.
1: Yeah, and blue-white control is much better than lotus field blue white
0: yeah that that is also true and i think you should just play normal blue white control as opposed to the lotus field version
1: yeah like when the lotus field version has lotus field and hits it like pretty early with one of its cheat mechanisms it's like okay this deck is pretty strong but not unbeatable uh and anytime it doesn't have lotus field it's just one of the more pathetic decks you've ever seen i i can't recommend this one
0: can we talk about amalia i really want to talk about amalia.
1: yeah it's time uh amalia really really sprung up over the past week both in these tournaments and in the discourse uh yeah. at least like people kind of announcing like boy this deck is pretty good and i'm probably playing it at this at this rc
0: yeah, I was wrong about this deck. I when people started playing it very early into a legality, like when Geological Appraiser was legal, mm-hmm. I didn't think it was worth playing at all.
1: Because <laughs> uh, I told you, man, I was I you know. Well,
0: I I still think I was right because those early lists did not have the technology that later lists had, mm-hmm. and once they added Return to the Ranks, I feel like the deck got massively more powerful.
1: I feel like that did get like when I was talking about it on the podcast, they were already playing some number of return to the ranks. uh, Okay. I I don't
0: remember. You could be right.
1: But yeah, the, the combo is strong. The combo is really threatening. And like, you have to be making a decision very early in the game of whether you're going to leave your removal up to stop the combo, or if you're going to develop a little bit so that you can end the game before they've really like, you know, closed you in with their multiple combo attempts. I I do believe that we've now hit a point where it is slightly overhyped because people are really, like, going hard on, you know, this is the best thing since sliced bread. It is a very good deck, though. And uh, it also sucks to play against.
0: Yeah, I'm going to lay out, like, the play pattern I think is not good for Pioneer, (laughs) which is the alright you're, you're you're playing a random deck in mod, in pioneer your opponent goes lunark veteran turn one turn two their turn two is amalia so they explore when they gain a life off the lunark veteran and then it's, it goes to your turn what now like if they play wild growth walker you lose yep. but they're not likely to have wild growth Walker, so you just like do you try to advance your own game plan and you're willing to lose like that's turn three maybe it's only your turn (laughs) that's so early in the game it could only be your turn two if they're on the play
1: yep yeah and i mean at least with that play pattern like it's like yeah i should probably kill this amalia because if they play another creature it gets to explore again and then that amalia starts getting really big and just straight up killing me um so imagine if
0: you are playing gruel and you just don't have removal
1: yeah i mean Hmm. another reason not to play gruel i guess but
0: I mean Gruel could be Lotus Field, which I think is a, a good an actual good deck that also does not meet that timetable. Like, what are you yeah. gonna
1: do? Yeah. I don't hate the idea of a deck that like punishes people for not registering any removal. That's kind of okay. But doing the thing so quickly and doing it in a way that punishes like oh, you dumbass, like, you played your blood tithe harvester, why would you do that? Now you're dead, is like, yeah, that's not good for the format. That's that's not a great place. I also don't like... So Amalia's Ward, which is pay three life, Mm -hmm. it stacks up so massively over the course of the game because you need to kill this creature, like, three to five times depending on how long the game is, and at some point that's just too much life to pay. Like, I have a rending volley in my sideboard almost entirely because it doesn't cost me life for one of the Amalia kills that game, and I, I it, it's, you just will end up dying to, like, random creature beat down if you pay three life, like, over and over and over again
0: because the way this deck works is that it plays like a relatively good value game with the card amalia like the Mm -hmm. the repeated explorers and and the life it gains with prosperous endkeeper or lunark veteran without the combo is it adds up very quickly so it's like hard to just attack them and race them and they'll they'll like attack you for like four back with a bunch of one ones or whatever but you like can't make that race work for your name favor and then you have to deal with amalia because you don't want to just lose on the spot but then they return to the rings back their the creatures, and you have to deal with Amalia again. And if they have the combo in their graveyard, Amalia's a 20-20 now, and you have no board, you still have to deal with her. And it's just like, it keeps going like this again and again and
1: again. Yeah, and even when Amalia hasn't been in play, when the, the combo is like finished with Amalia being cast, because like they've had a Wild Growth Walker sitting there, and they're Doing nothing. soul wardens, right? Because Wild Growth Walker doesn't really do anything else in the deck. So a lot of times the combo is final uh, finalized by Amalia coming into play, gain a life off of a soul warden. Okay, we'll combo off. She becomes gigantic, kills everything. I can't attack you with my Amalia because she has killed my wild growth walker here. I'll pass the turn. But what we did there is we milled our entire library and put a return to the ranks in our hand and can kill you again the the next turn.
0: Yeah. Even if you deal
1: with this Amalia now
0: yeah some people started playing an um aetherflux reservoir as well yeah. just to like if you explore an aetherflux reservoir on the top you just cast it and pay 50 life because you have 4 trillion life once you've compoed off yeah now you don't actually have that much it's not infinite it's just a bunch it's have, yeah 90
1: or whatever you have
0: 100 life basically yeah more than enough to pay for aetherflux reservoir i think that card's not good i don't know if <laughs> I'm I'm not sold on it. It's mostly
1: a magic online thing so that you just don't have to click through the combo again. Once you've comboed off once.
0: Probably Uh, Dina is a card. Is it Dina or Dima Dina Dina is a card that whenever you gain life here, each opponent loses one life. Uh, If you return to the ranks with Dina and the combo that does a hefty chunk of your opponent's life. It's basically a kill as well.
1: Yeah. Yeah especially if they've played any shock lands then that Or will you've just hit, kill them.
0: you've hit in with a Lunark veteran or a prosperous enkeeper or yeah, whatever. Exactly. Like it's not uncommon to just like go, get in the red zone turn 1 because your opponent has played a tap land on turn 1 or thoughts eej, which is common.
1: Yeah. Anyways, the the deck is really strong, it's really resilient. It it just keeps presenting this combo. One thing that I think does matter a lot in understanding the deck is that if they can't threaten the combo, then nothing else that they're doing matters at all. So if you're ever yes. able to cut off the Amalia, then you're not going to... The only reason you die to the random creature beatdown is because you keep paying for the ward and you're also like keeping mana up rather than developing your own game plan. You're not going to die to Prosperous Innkeeper beatdown if there's not the threat of the combo. And so if you like the end their Amalia or something like that, then... Yeah,
0: they're not going to be able easy. to
1: easy. Um, if you have Knight of Malice or whatever that thing is, that's like your opponents can't gain life. Then
0: Knight of Dusk, night of Thorn, something, something like that. Knight of Malice is the Dominaria one.
1: I don't know what it is. Knight of
0: Dusk's shadow is the Dominaria two two for two menace. So opponents can't gain life.
1: Yeah, something like that. Actually stops them. I don't know if the deck is going to be prevalent enough to play you know rampaging Ferocidon or whatever in your sideboard but if you do have a hate permanent like that in play and they don't play very many they don't play any removal spells main deck and they maybe sideboard some skyclave apparitions or whatever so uh, a hate permanent is pretty decent against them it, it it's a it's it's strong it's possible i don't know if there's enough amalia to justify doing something like that
0: yeah, the way I think Amalia is gonna work for this RC in Atlanta, because uh, that's the upcoming tournament for, for, uh, for us, for the United States, the biggest Pioneer tournament of the year probably. Like for the rest of the year, then we'll mm-hmm. probably not be on Pioneer for a little bit. But whatever. Right. Uh, I think a lot of people will not be able to play Amalia or get the cards because a lot of them are new or unplayable oh, the- and, or hard to find like return to the ranks I think is integral to the deck uh I, I, and it's only been printed once in a corset like six or seven years ago I don't even remember when the corset was mm-hmm. and it's a bulk rare sure but like who has them like where are we getting them from yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: right I mean bulkers are often the hardest things to find
0: so I don't think Amali will be as represented as it is hyped Uh, i also think from a standpoint of assuming you have all the cards you could ever want and you wanted to play amalia does rc i think it's a really good choice because people will not have the proper like testing against it i think there's a lot of improvements to be made to the amalia sideboard specifically because when i was playing matches with amalia i would basically pick up my sideboard that i net decked straight up off the magic online results and I'm like, why does that sideboard only have like one playable card in it? Can we just like not do better than that? <laughs> so I think you can just like rework the entire sideboard, basically. And there's been a lot of work on that, um, with more established players getting onto the deck. Uh putting in cards like Voice Resurgence for the Phoenix matchup and blue-white control, and then uh night of Dusk Shadow for the mirror, <laughs> if you wanted to tech against that, is also something that I like because The mirror is actually very miserable. Yeah, there's no way if you've ever played, Right. And having just like a hate card that basically makes your opponent's combo not cease to function is so good there.
1: Yeah. And one that you can cord for very early is Right.
0: Yeah. Uh whereas like early sideboard side cards like uh Leyline of the Void and uh, Elder Gargaroth, a card designed to do seemingly nothing in any s- single matchup. Yeah. <laughs> and there that's, were two in my sideboard. That's not
1: it. Yeah. <laughs> right, the cards that I've been most impressed by, certainly a hate card for the mirror seems great. Skyclave Apparition to solve problem permanence that people have put into their sideboard also seems great. And yeah, Voice of Resurgence is just really impressive. Also, if you mess up against Voice of Resurgence... And you, you know, you want to kill the Amalia. So if they have a Wild Growth Walker and a Soul Warden guy in play, you let them cast the Amalia and then you kill it and they gain some life. And then they're down in Amalia and and you can keep going. If they have a Voice of Resurgence in play, though, if you do that, then a voice token hits the battlefield. They gain a life on top of your removal spell. And And now they they actually have
0: a clock. The voice gives them a real clock.
1: Yes, well, and they also combo off with your removal spell on the stack because they gain a life. Oh, you've gained a life. Right. They explore, and then they do the whole combo. And, you know, if it's a fatal push, it'll still kill the Amalia at the end of the combo, but they'll have done their whole thing that includes setting up their graveyard for, you know, uh, return to the ranks the next turn, or flux Reservoir or whatever, and you you get Wrathed and you probably lose that game. So, you know, figure out when you want to cast your removal spells and maybe you have to kill the wild growth walker in response to the amalia or maybe your strategy is you know my post board strategy against amalia is three mana sweepers because i want to efficiently take the soul wardens off the board and keep the combo threat as unlikely as possible and then have a disdainful stroke up for the return to the ranks later in the game
0: have you decided to switch to anger of the gods away from brotherhood's end because I think, of this
1: i think i'm on a 2-1 split because brotherhood's end is still too important against like sacrifice mm-hmm. but i i do think that anger is certainly preferable in this matchup and
0: i think the way amalia settles for this tournament is that it is a good deck that a lot of people will mess up against i think it's far from like you know the most busted thing you can possibly play and you shouldn't play anything else i don't i really do not think it's there like you know i have seen messages suggesting i think it will settle up to being just a very good pioneer deck and Mm -hmm. probably one with not the super healthiest of play patterns yeah i mean but people will eventually adapt around it it's just not going to be within the next two weeks
1: yeah i think it's a great choice for this weekend I suspect that Amalia will not last out the year uh, in 2024. I, I don't think that it will be allowed to continue because it's just so unpleasant to deal with this threat, this like effectively Splinter Twin type threat so early in the game.
0: Yeah, and again, since they don't ban new cards, Wild Growth Walker is about to become the funniest <laughs> ban <laughs> of <for> the entire Pioneer <laughs> Ban list. <laughs> oh lord put him right up there with oko in a row
1: <laughs> yeah in the same pantheon of busted cards
0: <laughs> too strong for pioneer yeah wild growth walker
1: like the most popular card on arena for a lo- like the entire time that it was legal in standard but before it was good in standard it was by far the most popular, like the card I played against the most on arena because everybody just wanted to go wild growth walker and the jade light ranger.
0: Yeah. I vividly remember that standard period. Cause I actually really enjoyed that standard format and I hated everyone just like putting these derpy, stupid wild growth walkers in their standard decks. Cause it wasn't that good. It wasn't as good as it was popular. Yeah. And the other Chris message today um, sent a message in the, the Grand Guys Discord saying, wow, I never thought the day would come we would willingly register Wild Growth Walker.
1: Yeah, I mean <laughs> this is a like more or less textless card that only like reads you win the game when you have Amalia in play. It's a very yeah. different creature in this deck.
0: Put eighteen counter on an Amalia and wrath the board. <laughs> yeah.
1: I mean there is the version the like Seder wayfinder version with jade light ranger and stuff like that
0: no i'm not i'm not interested no
1: i mean that version looks worse to me but what do i know
0: I, i'm all for a Seder wayfinder but i every time i cast that card and i had to do it a lot while i was playing uh underworld breach and pioneer mm-hmm. it's so miserable when you whiff on it you just want to die
1: I, every once in a while i have whiffed with a. Read the Fey, and that sees five cards, right? It only looks at four. Oh, okay. But it
0: pieces get... pieces is the one that sees
1: five. Yeah, pieces sees five. Um, it it only looks at four, but given that like the core engine of your deck is you know a play set of delve spells, it's it's usually like all right, I'll take I'll take my lumps with this one. I'll I'll make do and I'll I'll use these cards. It's funny though that card actually doesn't work in real life the way that it works on magic online you have to take a card if you flip an instant sorcery or fairy but on magic online you can elect not to take a card which every once in a while would be correct to do because you just want one more card in your graveyard so you can treasure cruise uh but you actually must take the card because it is not a hidden zone and there's a card that fulfills the requirements in that pile but on, on magic online you can just not take one if you don't want to uh,
0: and magic online also has the text bug still where it's like select when you pick something it just reads out a random thing including yeah, sometimes the player names same. more often than not
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: ccr selected super jerk picked yes. prankster
1: i super jerk often attacks and blocks in in my games <laughs>
0: I I also will say that the buyout of one three flying vigilance creature is much nicer than Seder Wayfinder's whiff of mm-hmm. my card doesn't matter.
1: Yes, I I have it's been the difference maker in a lot of games and also the like boy I'm completely out of resources but I can use this body to trigger my Ledger Shredder and and get things going again is I I so I think that one thing that is important to talk about is like. I, I really believe that the pieces of the puzzle picklock Prankster thing is like super clear in picklock Prankster's favor now. I can't imagine casting pieces of the puzzle against Amalia. I can't imagine having it in my hand against Convoke. And it's just too important to get that one mana discount. The instant speed is, is nice, but not even the most important thing. It's just like, I can't put a three mana sorcery that doesn't affect the board in my deck in Pioneer the way it exists right now.
0: Yeah, the timetable of Pioneer has
1: moved up recently,
0: especially yeah. with Smuggler's Copter even.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like you can pick lock prankster into your fiery impulse and kill a smuggler's copter, that like you'll you'll have taken too many hits off of the copter by the time you do that with pieces of the puzzle.
0: Right. Any other post ban decks you want to like tackle that you think are worth talking about that we haven't. It- really touched on
1: i mean i do think sacrifice is i i I am seeing the the whole format through a pretty specific lens right now because i am basically hard locked on is it phoenix and all of the work that i've been doing is to understand all of those matchups and so like my entire view of pioneer is basically like decks that I'm worried about, as is it Phoenix when I get paired against them and decks that I'm not worried about when I get paired against them, as is it Phoenix. And I it's very strange. But at this point, like Rakdos midrange is in the decks that I'm not worried about, as is it Phoenix, like portion of the camp. That's one that when I see a Blackleaf glyphs, I'm like, oh, this is fine. It's either sacrifice a matchup that's like actively good or it's mid-range a deck that I feel like my plans are just better than theirs in the matchup and uh the like consistency that you get to Treasure Cruise especially game 1 I like I I just don't lose to Rakdos very much anymore and I'm sure that it's closer than like my record in leagues and challenges would suggest but it's in the category of like yeah, I'm sitting down across from it and it's fine. As opposed to when I sit down and there's a Botanical Sanctum played on turn one and I'm like, oh, well, you know, this is not good for me. This is a really terrible situation. And even like, you know, I believe that I have a decent matchup against Amalia, but it is stressful and annoying to play against in a way that like playing against Rakdos just is not. And that's, that's kind of like, a, a small note about how I see the format. Like, Amalia is a deck that's like, ugh, this is gonna be a really difficult match. And if I, know I fuck Rakdos up, is... I'm going to die. Yeah, yeah. And, and I know Rakdos is like pretty good, and there's no reason that the Thoughtseize, Decent Creatures, Smuggler's Copter deck isn't strong. But, like, its range is very specific, and I kind of always know what spell they could cast on their next turn, and it's fine and, and generally works out okay. I will say that the adoption of uh, Archfiend of the Dross over Shieldred in some number of slots, like, that six point of toughness is really difficult to deal with sometimes. Uh, I mean, all the time as Phoenix.
0: That's the classic RC cycle though. Like you, you start cutting your shielders and start putting in a bunch of archfiends of the Drosses specifically for the RC. Then the RC passes and everyone forgets about them yeah. <laughs> until the next RC.
1: But the gap between a shielder that you can kill with a lightning axe and an archfiend of the that you're like, I don't know what to do about this. is definitely like, that's a real thing. Um, I have two brazen borrowers in my sideboard currently that in the dark, I am bringing in against all of the. Rakdos mid-range decks because they have been playing a lot of ley lines of the void against me lately. Um, but it also solves the Archfiend problem pretty nice. Like you just kind of tempo them out from there.
0: Nick was telling me about a game he was playing as Amalia uh against a Rakdos deck that just like played an Archfiend of the Dross. Mm-hmm. And Nick was like, I'm at thirty five. Oh, can't, yeah, just... <laughs> <laughs> can't I just gonna do? Can't I just outweigh this? Yeah. And wouldn't you know it, uh, four turns later, the they last oil died. counter. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yep, yep.
0: No combo necessary.
1: <laughs> nope, just soul wardens.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah, so I'm sure that it costs you points in other matchups, but sometimes not being lightning axable is pretty important. Yeah and convoke is also a deck that although I feel like my matchup is fine against them it is a matchup that you sit down and they play inspiring vantage and you're like I might just be dead like they won the die roll is there anything I can do if they if they draw the nuts no there's not
0: yeah I am still a big fan of uh, convoke like it's it's not a type of deck that I am very good at playing or piloting or anything like that but I respect it a lot I think it's very good, and even got better with Warden of the Inner Sky,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and um the the card creature in excellent that makes a bat. Undeads Recruiter. No, 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 no. Oh, not the one that makes a bat. The one in Exile. Oh. oh. Two and a white, two one. In, I don't. I don't know that.
1: Oh, card. I haven't seen that card in, in the deck.
0: I have seen that card in the deck. Maybe it's not a widely adopted, and I just yeah like, spotted it in the wild or something. Yeah. But it it was impressive the game. I saw it turned to like a board of goblins into real cards.
1: Interesting. I think that that's not a card that I am like scared of dealing with as, you know, a fiery impulse deck, you know?
0: Yeah. I mean, it's just a, it, it's kind of a bushwhacker type card because it is battle cry, but it also is not so all in because it makes a bat and on the way in and out yeah i I mean maybe it's just for like decks that can't remove it or something i i haven't i'm not like hand on the pulse of all the convoked decks it's just something i managed to see
1: i am generally worried about imidane's recruiter yeah that card's great like all the time it's just like that's the thing that i'm like yeah if they hit the third land for recruiter like that will kill me here like that that's the one that's always on my mind and and the scary thing um so difficult for me to recommend another 3 drop because that's the that's the messed up one.
0: I mean I'm sure that was in addition to recruiter. Sure. Not replacing it. Yeah. <laughs> Cuz recruiter's just too good to be replaced. Yeah. But I I it is one of those decks I think is a very good choice. I'm of the Sacred Foundry decks. I think this one's like the clear winner over heroic. Heroic's just like two flimsy it just has these really bad draws sometimes and convoke just doesn't (laughs) like you can be tricked into keeping bad hands sometimes especially since you have like a bunch of ornithopters but for the most part most of your opening hands are really good yeah and they don't they're interchangeable
1: every time my convoke opponent keeps seven against me i just like put my like head in my hands basically there's just nothing even with a brotherhood's end if you're on the draw you might it might not do anything
0: yeah, they might have a Loxodon already, or like a Knight Errant, and then what you're gonna leave them with? Especially when they have Warden of the Inner Sky early. If like, they have two things, right?
1: If they have a Warden and a, a Loxodon, or if they like just cast a Convoker on turn two and then a Convoker on turn three, then you maybe aren't like you're taking hits, and then you cast your Sweeper, and it doesn't kill everything. And, and if they have, have more than like seven power in play, left, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs>
0: Just kind of a losing battle yeah the, the the decks i think are really well positioned at the rc level the, the decks i would consider at the top of the list right now for me for the format in general mm-hmm. are would be ractos midrange this is not in any order i'm just saying it was come to mind uh rectus midrange phoenix very clearly uh, amalia lotus field combo convoke blue white control mostly as a response to amalia to be honest mm-hmm. and i think you can do pretty well against some of the other stuff too uh and then anything after those like six decks i don't really know what to think of like sure. you mentioned claudio was playing a five color omnath deck like a big mid range deck
1: yeah i don't i wouldn't recommend I,
0: I don't want to do anything with a big mid range deck i don't want to play any smuggler decks that aren't rock dose Including Grease Fang, which I praised earlier, because I think uh, if you're like hedging into that combo sphere, you just play Amalia. Like this weekend, next weekend, I think it's just better. Mm-hmm. Uh, decks after that, I don't know what we're trying to do really.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, those are those are the decks that I think are respectable choices going into the RC, and it would take like a lot of new information and convincing to like put me onto anything else from there if, if any of those were you know something that i could play
0: notably i do not think recto SAC is like appreciably better than rectus mid-range because of the prevalence of phoenix and mm-hmm. amalia
1: yeah I, I think that that is pretty important like you know i i, I say that i'm not scared of Rakdos midrange anymore like that's in the pile of decks that it's like oh yeah this matchup is fine but Sacrifice is an actively good matchup for Phoenix and I think that's a, a really rough spot to be in when your Phoenix opponent is happy to see you across the table from them I, I'm not sure that that's where you want to be
0: Especially since I expect Phoenix to be the most played deck in the format. Like there was a time where Ractus uh, mid range would be the most played deck in, a, in like any Pioneer format. I don't think we're there anymore. I'm pretty firmly uh, convinced that the Steam Vents fanatics, including you, CCR, mm-hmm. have taken grip of the format, and that's just going to be the most popular deck for a while.
1: Yeah, I think so, and and that's why I spent time playing the Mirror today, which is you know a little bit of a chore. Although, you know, at least I get to do it with somebody who also enjoys it and is fun to hang out with. So that helped. Um I think that if you are going to play Phoenix, you need to have a grasp of the mirror and the common play patterns, especially on early turns. So that that can help you get reads on what your opponent is capable of. You have to know. When it's right to attack with phoenixes and when it's right to hold them back, that can be very difficult. Uh, Generally, like a heuristic that really helps there is that in game ones, your opponent is going to have more removal clocking up their hand. And so your phoenixes are unlikely to be able to block because there's just like a fiery impulse or two that never had a target. So you might as well attack. Unless you just, like, can't possibly survive uh, without blocking. But you might as well attack so you get something out of your phoenixes before they die on your opponent's turn to, you know, triple spell. And this fire impulse is just part of that triple spelling. Uh, and, And just the matches are really, really decided by play skill. But more in just, like there will be an important turn that you can't make the mistake on and if whoever makes like the mistake with a capital m is just going to you know you got your treasure cruise mystical disputed you're dead whatever that yeah, you're like you're gonna
0: get buried like the the nature of phoenixes and the dove spells just ensure that's gonna happen
1: Yeah. And it just creates these really high leverage moments that you need to make sure you're doing properly and not leaving yourself vulnerable in. And so I would definitely encourage anybody who's registering Phoenix for the RC to make sure that you've played a decent number of those matches and you kind of like internalize those play patterns and those important turns and figure out like the best way to resolve your treasure cruises and and make sure you're not getting screwed over. And, And once you do that. You know, I don't want to be in a spot where I'm sitting down playing Phoenix against somebody who's more experienced in the Phoenix mirror than me. I think that that's a bad recipe for success. So I I would suggest that other people kind of like take that same tack and, and figure out the matchup.
0: I absolutely agree.
1: Also, none of the plans matter that much uh your deck can be a little bit better like you can have combo in your deck there aren't really hate cards or anything like that there aren't counter spells that are like really really game breaking or anything like it's it's play patterns and sequencing that's going to make the difference in most of the matches
0: yeah i mean our set's reversal is like kind of the best you get right as far as a swingy card goes
1: yeah and it's even one that like i maybe just would rather have negate so. they, they
0: still they still get the guard like you're right. not stopping them you're just getting it first
1: <laughs> yeah and at some point, like they'll still treasure cruise. So,
0: yeah, of course they'll they'll play usually upwards of two in the match. Yeah, the matchup like per game. Yeah, this these games are long.
1: I, a lot of the games end with both players on like sub ten cards in library, which means that when you whenever you have access to your entire deck, that means that there's just a huge branching decision tree that you need to navigate as best you can.
0: That's why I always have the hardest time picking up decks with a bunch of tutors in them. Like, mm-hmm. I think those are the hardest decks for me to pick up. Is when I am expected to know exactly <laughs> what I'm supposed to get and when. Yeah. Yep. Like I don't. I don't put a lot of stock into the "my deck is hard" kind of argument much of, much of the time. But tutors is like the one thing where I'm like, "Oh, this is actually." kind of difficult well, i really and, and, need to practice for this
1: and when both players have access to such a huge percentage of their deck over the course of the game you have to start looking forward to eventualities not as possibilities but as almost givens inevitables yeah we were playing this game and i had nine cards left in my deck and then i end of turn Odawara scott's like five seven ledger shredder and it wasn't like, oh, man, he drew the Odawara. It was like, yeah, it was going to hit Odawara at some point, get that Ledger Shredder out of the way, then be able to cast a bunch of spells and attack. And it just was going to happen. And so you need to be have a plan for that happen. You need to understand that that will happen.
0: Yeah, that's a really... I, I'm very used to thinking about this within the past couple of years because of uh, Flesh and Blood. You You commonly get to that, like, I'm going to draw my deck Mm -hmm. maybe twice a game so i need to figure out exactly what the plan is when we hit the point where i'm supposed to actually use those cards that are relevant like how do i set up this how do i set up the board to get to the spot where i need to use those cards i know i'm going to have access to Mm -hmm. like what do i need the game to look like in order to leverage my cards better than my opponents yeah and when you have an act like when you have access to your deck in that way uh, like phoenix does you can set up those scenarios. You just know they're going to happen. So you should be working towards the most of the game.
1: Yep. Right. And then the, like, intense difficulty comes in the mirror when you have to be, like, planning for your opponent doing the same thing, Yeah, too. doing
0: the exact same thing, right. Games are hard.
1: Yeah. That's why they're fun.
0: I don't know. I like winning on turn three after my Molly is a twenty twenty and I just attack.
1: Listen, I'm a <laughs> draw deck kind of guy. You don't have to convince me here. <laughs>
0: grief you cycle cycle cascade force negation your thing (laughs) that's just good clean living
1: yeah it's fine it you know having having a nut draw is part of like what the game is about it's kind of why i like one of the reasons that i do like playing the otherworldly gaze version of phoenix is it's much you know nothing will nothing in pioneer can really simulate the like turn two metamorphose cantrip faithless looting bring back two phoenixes you can never win from the spot but trigger pyromancer ascension Oof. like uh, otherworldly Gaze. like turn one otherworldly gaze turn two flashback otherworldly gaze is the line that is most likely to lead to turn three getting back some number of phoenixes and like it's, it's difficult to get back three Phoenix or get back two phoenixes on turn three without that. But it is much more possible when you're playing otherworldly gaze.
0: I kind of like otherworldly gaze because it levels out your bad matchups in a way where you can get your like main plan online early Mm -hmm. and spend your mana towards worrying about how you don't lose. Like if your, if your matchup is bad, like you get a Phoenix out early and then you can just, you've got a clock now you can like do other stuff
1: yeah i mean the only matchup that i keep it that i keep all of them in in besides the mirror is lotus field because it's just like this buys me an opportunity to do something a little stronger than i should be able to do and you know maybe it gets me there lets me look at a few more cards i just need some key things and so in my worst matchup it is one of my best cards for sure
0: well do you want to talk about anything non-phoenix related
1: (laughs) I did I did play it in two challenges this weekend. I missed mm-hmm. top eighting both of them, but I did top 32 both of them. You know, we did fine. We're 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 grinding. We're doing okay.
0: Got, got a twenty-third and nineteenth.
1: Yeah, we're in there. Uh the I don't know, non-Phoenix related. I mean, we did talk about kind of all of the decks that I, I think like really matter in the format.
0: Can I ask you your opinion of Angels as it won a challenge this past weekend?
1: I mean, I probably can't beat it, but everything else can. So
0: that, that is exactly what I think about angels. I I think it is quite good against Phoenix and I don't know why we're playing it. Otherwise, like, (laughs) like, (laughs) I I just don't understand. It just seems so bad against or so miserable against other decks. Like no one is playing monogreen green or gruel. I mean, at
1: least this isn't even a smuggler's copter deck. What are we doing? isn't the main angels. thing about angels that we don't oh i guess it's an elves version of angels so all right like i accept but yeah.
0: I, I think it preys on an archetype of deck right now that is not other than phoenix particularly mm-hmm. popular yeah
1: also with phoenix you really only lose to righteous valkyrie
0: you don't care about bishop wings at all is bishop the one that gains you like four trillion life
1: bishop does gain you a lot of life and it does have four toughness so it is you know obnoxious but if they don't have righteous valkyrie their guys just all die to removal that costs less than the creature and so and obviously they have access to a lot of righteous valkyries because they have four collected companies for kayla's reconstructions but you know, anytime they stumble at all and aren't able to just leverage these expensive spells, none of their cards do that much. I'm I'm,
0: I'm not a big angels fan. I'm happy this they want a challenge like good for angels. It's but... funny though.
1: This angels deck has what eight It only it only plays 15 angels.
0: It has a bunch of words with uh, cards with the word angel on it, though.
1: It does. Yes. Yeah, I I wouldn't recommend it. Won a challenge it's good against this Phoenix i mean imagine trying to play against amalia with this deck
0: i think the takeaway for the next week because this is the last show we're doing before the rc right yes so the main takeaway here is to make sure you should already know you're doing against phoenix if you're going to the rc that's just a given at this point but it might not be clear what you need to do against amalia especially in a a molly a player with a functional sideboard mm-hmm. so i would try to practice that matchup with whatever deck you're planning on bringing to the rc just so you know what to do so you don't punt a match away like even if the matchup's not great for you with whatever you're trying to play mm-hmm. it's good for you to know how to play it so that you don't just spew like 10 off and lose a match you don't have to right
1: yeah it's it's the new deck and it's easy to mess up against i, I think you're completely right about that
0: other than that yeah just you know phoenix mirrors
1: i i kind of like them they're neat and uh th- there's there's a level of there's a point in the game where it's kind of deterministic as long as both players like play perfectly from there and so you need to identify like how you're gonna get your opponent to screw up if you're not the one that's going to win from the determine. It's it's neat. It's it's just a, a neat silly matchup. Uh, sometimes it's decided because one player has like three phoenixes in their top twenty cards and doesn't actually draw any of them, just mills them over, and so like just crushes. But a lot of the games are not like that.
0: I I really enjoy playing like difficult games. I have a little story I guess to wrap up mm-hmm. where i i played a lot of magic this week actually i played a ton of pioneer um, this week for testing for people rc uh, in durham mostly and that's where i played a bunch of malia i played a ton then i put i tried my best to play standard, <laughs> to play some standard. on uh, friday saturday which didn't happen the way i would have liked but i did get to play with the few people that showed up so that was that was fine yeah but by far the most difficult and engaging match I had all weekend was cubing on Sunday (laughs) in the finals because we have a lot of good players that we cube with right so I I ended up playing a, a brand new cube it was Nathan had built an activated abilities cube that was like the theme of the cube uh and that was this was the first draft of the cube in both senses of the word so it won in the finals against nick who i've referenced three times on this podcast now so i better be getting some royalty money <laughs> well we'll uh, send
1: him a, a fruit cake for christmas
0: yeah he, he killed me game one with hex drinker which should not have been in the cube just like it was too powerful for the cube so he That's just one- leveled it up
1: that that's and one that me. like a lot of people have in their like top thirty-ish cards in the vintage cube because it just wins games on its own. But you don't necessarily know that until you see it and you're like, oh right, this card's stupid. And then game
0: two, I win a hard game because his his cards are just. I have a synergistic deck of cards at appropriate power level that I think my deck is quite good. We're both green white decks, funnily enough, mm-hmm. in the in the finals of this cube. Uh, whereas his deck has very good cards that probably shouldn't be in the cube uh, like umazawa's jete and hex Drinker and sure. the heliod spike feeder both halves of the combo oh no <laughs> so that this is what i'm up against yeah uh, i win game one game three is a very long game where we're just like battling it out and i'm trying my best to get combat all his bullshit like i have to kill batter skulls and jittes with flickering a reclamation sage mm-hmm. with one of these unicorn things i from jumpstart i drafted
1: i love that unicorn thing but yeah it's so
0: cool <laughs> <laughs> uh and we're, i'm just playing this grindy game i'm like i i board in wrath of gods in my da- there's too many rats in the cube also there's like six wrath of gods in this 360 card cube oh god that it, is okay. all board focused <laughs> uh-huh. so i have like two rats at my sideboard <laughs> and I also have Selfless Spirit and the Fate Reforged Manifest guy, where you manifest a card from your library each turn, and you can sack it. When all your creatures die, they manifest. Mm-hmm. So those are anti-wrath cards. So if I have either Selfless Spirit or I think it's Whisperwood Elemental is that card's name? Yeah. Then I get I have a port even if I wrath. Because mm-hmm. again, next cards are better than mine. And the only way I can actually kill Hex Drinker is with Wraths. <laughs> <laughs> so we play the super long game where we're both making a bunch of decisions and it was super fun and i wish i could play it like over again and the end of the game was so close where he had exactly enough mana to present lethal and tap down my blocker with a richard Port, because it, my blocker was a stirring wildwood on his <laughs> flying creature <laughs> which gained counters via spike feeder like the ability that moves the counters along Haha, uh-huh. that's because <laughs> really cool. yeah it was it was nice that, and that game was extremely fun, and I love playing cube, and any difficult games I like can engineer like that are, are very cool. Yeah. Ma- Magic's a good thing.
1: Hopefully I get to cube some at the RC. Should have cool. some free time.
0: But will you have a free cube?
1: We'll see. I'm not bringing one, so.
0: <laughs> we'll, we'll cube, like, in, in or after New Year's, do a, do a cube early in the year
1: yeah nice yeah
0: and you should play with it play i will
1: it. i will try to for sure
0: if you want a cube we we've got them we've got yeah. the we've got the scene
1: we'll make it happen cool well thanks everybody so much for listening we really appreciate your time uh come join the discord the link will be in the show notes that is open to everyone please feel free to come hang out uh if you want to lend us some support patreon.com slash mtg I think that's it for us. Have a great week.
0: Bye. Good luck at the RC. If you're Thank going. You.
1: Oh yeah. Well, just to everyone, to not just everyone. to you. Not well, but to me too. My Good luck, luck to will, my luck
0: will come more directly for you. Okay. fair. Also, enough. do you need any cards? I know we're we not really ended the episode, but. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I don't think so. I think that uh, I just needed. I forgot to order otherworldly gazes, but I think I can get those from Philip, and I think that's it.
0: Okay. Bye, everyone.
1: Bye.